0: You are listening to John DeYard's Life Spa, your premier source for health news and Ayurveda, where modern science meets ancient wisdom.
1: Hey everybody, I'm Dr. John DeYard and welcome to the Life Spa podcast. And today we're gonna talk about the ancient wisdom and modern science of magnetic therapy. You know, magnets have been used for thousands of years for therapy of all kinds. It was first reported in Egypt, they used it in China, in the Vedic literature, in the Ayurvedic text, they talked about using lodestones or what they called leading stones that were magnetic for therapeutic purposes. It's also used in the Greek medicine as something called magnus lithos, which is which means the stones of magnesia. And there was a certain part of Greece where lots of the stones were magnetic. So this is not a new thing, but it sure has come a long way. Today, I want to talk about some of the cutting-edge uses of magnetic therapy for things like depression, OCD, smoking, tinnitus, mood control, even epilepsy, an FDA-certified therapy used by psychiatry um, and is called uh, transcranial magnetic stimulation. And I was really fortunate enough to meet uh, one of the leaders in this field, Dr. Charles Hayden. He's a medical doctor, board-certified in psychiatry, and he's been using transcranial magnetic stimulation for for about 10 or 11 years now. It's a relatively new science in Western medicine, but it is really the cutting edge therapy in Western medicine for treating depression and other types of neuromodulation therapies where we're actually affecting how the nerves fire or don't fire. So, I want to welcome Dr. Charles Hayden. Charles, really great to have you. Thanks for being here,
0: okay. Thank you, John. And um I appreciate your kind words, but I'm not sure that I'm a leading authority on with TMS, although I'm <laughs> very enthusiastic and um, want to uh, you know, provide the latest uh, approaches to utilizing TMS
1: yeah. and and why don't we kind of dive right in there and Talk about you know what TMS is, and um, you know first of all how you got into it, and and uh, what are some of the results that you're having with your patients. First, just tell folks what it is. How does it really work? It's non-invasive, right? So non-invasive, so super safe. Talk us, tell us about it.
0: So um, TMS is um, basically the principle of using magnetic fields to induce current in brain tissue, and so you probably use TMS that principle this morning, you may have used it next to your sink. If you have one of those toothbrushes and you put it on the charger, then that uh, toothbrush is charging. There's no wire going to it, but it's charging. And basically the base of the toothbrush has a pulsing magnetic field. The toothbrush itself has a coil of wire. When that coil gets near the magnetic field, current flows in the wire that charges the battery. And so your brain is really an electrical organ. There's uh, One of the leaders in our field says, electricity is the currency of the brain. When one brain cells talking to another, it's through an electrical impulse. So we can use a pulsing magnetic field placed at certain areas of the brain, and we can stimulate surface brain cells and they will depolarize, they will fire, they will communicate with um, other brain cells that they're connected to. And we can we can actually cause uh, nerve uh, systems to kind of wake up and reinforce nerve connections. And so that's that's really basically the principle of TMS. And it's actually been, the principles have been there for a long time in the mid 80s um, uh, doctors began, neurologists specifically, were stimulating the motor cortex and causing the contralateral side of the arm to to uh, flex uh, with uh, motor impulses. So that kind of was the beginning of TMS, and then the use of repetitive pulses in order to um, establish networks and to, to get neurotransmitter levels at different, at different places activate these networks, that kind of began in the 90s. And so actually, since the mid 90s, patients have actually been treated for depression, utilizing repetitive transcranial magnetic stimulation. And right now, this area of um, the use of neuromodulation, specifically TMS, is just exploding because the ability to take a magnetic pulse and to stimulate different parts of the brain, I mean, it just has so much um, utility. Used to be that they would have to drill a hole in somebody's skull, and put a wire, and put a little electrode on the part of the brain to try to figure out what part of the brain, you know, are we activating? Well, now we can do that with an electrical, with a, with a magnetic pulse, and it just jumps the skull and is able to to stimulate. And so um, it's a really exciting time to, to uh, see what's happening with the science. Because in Europe, you've got uh, TMS being used to treat um, like autism, addictions. It's, it's being used to treat pain, as it is over here as well. Um, depression and anxiety. Uh, it's, in, in this country, it's approved for smoking cessation, OCD, and major depression. And there's like, I think 10 to 15 papers published a week on TMS therapy worldwide. Um, and so this is really kind of an exploding field. It's just almost hard to keep up with all that's being um, explored with TMS therapy.
1: So I've seen some studies where they use uh, magnetic therapy on pain areas and it works really well. I did some patients with polio. I think there was one study that showed that that, you know, a significant number of the folks who had polio um, pain um, were resolved from magnetic therapy. But that was actually putting, uh, and I did one study I saw with diabetic neuropathy where they put a magnet magnets in the socks and they saw the magnus helps reduce the pain significantly. But we're talking about reducing pain by actually treating different parts of the brain, right? That's right. That's, that's we're not putting the, the magnus on the pain spot. So we're going to the to the higher centers to actually do that. And and when you talked about, just so people are really clear, when you talked about using the magnets, you would actually move the magnet around and give those pulses and, and then certain fingers would twitch and then they knew exactly, then you would know exactly where you are, right? And that's how they originally mapped the brain by actually opening your skull and doing that with electrical wires. But now you can actually really know exactly what part of the brain you're working on by watching some motor activity, correct?
0: Right, they can. you can um, also use, um... MRI scan, a functional MRI scan and tell what, what part of the brain is being stimulated. Um, and so, yeah, so it's much more, I mean, there's a lot of parts of the brain that we would want to to check and to look at that would not be connected with the motor. And so you would not have to observe, you know, just an, a motor reflex. Um, so, uh, so, you know, MRI scan in conjunction with, uh, TMS, and they call that neuronavigation, where you've got um, a coil that is actually you can tell exactly where it is in space, and you've already done an MRI scan, and so you know kind of where you're pointing the coil and what kinds of things are happening in real time while you're stimulating. So that's um, that's really opened up, you know, a, a dynamic component to uh, to this to, to the um, research.
1: When when the MRIs came out, I think it was in the 80s, right? Early 80s or something, maybe late 70s. And there was a lot of talk back then that, that there was like therapeutic benefit from the, MR, the, the, the uh, uh, magnetic resonance. Was that a thing? Is that really a thing that when people get, you know, uh, magnetic resonance, do they actually get benefit from that? Or and is that sort of how the whole thing started or not really?
0: Um, that's a good question. I, I don't, I don't think that, um, the, I think the origins of, um, treating, uh, for depression is the idea that we know that, uh, TMS can cause, um, uh, brain cells to depolarize. So we can, uh, we can actually stimulate and, and cause depolarization. And we know that the prefrontal area, is very much involved with some of the networks that are um, connected with depression. So the the prefrontal cortex is engaged in cognitive control. So the the way you interpret kind of what's happening to you, you know, is the glass half empty, is it half full? Um, Your ability to be flexible in your thinking to to anticipate positive outcomes and things is very, the prefrontal area became a target early on and so with repetitive stimulation of that target they begin to see mood changes and so i think that's how that evolved now we're in my practice we we do stimulate at the prefrontal for for mood disorders Um, also fda approved is another circuit which is over the central top part of the head um at the supplemental motor area and that's a different circuit that seems to go between the um, orbitofrontal area uh, to the caudate down to the thalamus. And there's like a loop that gets going and you can interrupt that loop with a magnetic pulse and treat OCD. And so the FDA has approved um, magnetic uh, TMS therapy for treatment of OCD. Uh, We're also treating uh, right over here above the ear, usually on the left side for, tinnitus, which appears on F, on a functional MRI scan, it seems to be an overactivated area along that area that may be kind of a software problem that is driving tinnitus. And so we can slow that down with a certain protocol of using TMS. And there's been uh, studies over the last 10 years that show about uh, 50% response with that approach for treating uh, tinnitus. So um, as we learn about more networks in the brain, the um, nerves that are wired together, fire together, or or vice versa, when we we figure out these networks and ways that we can tap into that utilizing TMS therapy, then sometimes we can use that for therapeutic benefit.
1: So I'm confused a little bit because I get that depression, you know, is an area of Maybe suppress nerve firing, right? So you use the TMS and you stimulate more nervous activation. People get happy; and they find you know the cup is half full instead of half empty, right? But OCD is already seems to be overstimulation, and you, like you said, you know, tinnitus is also overstimulation. So can the TMS actually kind of you know increase or decrease nerve activation? Does it kind of yes. stimulate more sedate?
0: So, for instance. There's the part of the brain um, called the hippocampus, which is kind of like right dead in the center of the brain. It's a small area that is very much linked to uh, cognition and memory. Um, okay. After 30 treatments of TMS therapy, you can show increased hippocampal volume on an MRI scan. So we have a, we basically have a cortical treatment because the TMS. It's just, treat, it's just really getting surface brain cells. That, that pulse, that magnetic pulse, probably penetrates probably about an, about an inch into the brain and gets those cortical, just that surface brain cells. But then they connect deep and link into the deeper limbic areas, kind of the emotion center of the brain. And so you can see changes in those downstream brain areas although we're just treating right here so that's what that's what it's kind of like that you're kind of looking for a switch looking for a a way to connect in to modulate those particular networks and that's what TMS is able to do when we treat right here when we're treating up here at the for the OCD it's a different circuit it's a different network that we're trying to modulate um and you know that's been data that has been seen on the functional MRI scan. You can see, you can see um, activity levels that are different in patients with OCD and when they're stimulated um, and yeah. exhibiting symptoms.
1: So it's almost like, so when you actually treat the prefrontal cortex, you're actually looping in the limbic system.
0: Yes, yes.
1: And when you treat the when you treat this this one on up on top, you're looping in a completely different system. Yeah.
0: A different network absolutely a different
1: network and it seemed like you would have to be like really precise to you know I mean like to get on the right channel kind of a thing right
0: okay so that's a that's a really good um, question, and the uh, latest meeting was about how important how important is it to be very, very precise because traditionally we have used skull markings. To decide where the coil is going to go, and there's a lot of controversy right now in the field because there are some uh, there are systems now available to do what's called the neuro navigation to kind of more precisely place the coil, and um, you know those systems do add significantly to the cost of TMS, and often require that the patient also get a MRI scan, um, although the question as to whether it makes a big difference in the outcomes, that question really still hadn't been fully resolved. So, but I would say this, that the coil that we use is a figure of eight coil, okay? And when you run um, a lot of voltage through it, it creates a magnetic field that's mostly, mostly in the center, right there, focused in the center. But you still have kind of a diffuse Um, bands of magnetic field going out so this is not like kind of a pencil um, you know uh, kind of like a scalpel kind of detail it is it is there is some diffuse uh, aspects to the uh, the field that's created Uh, so there's some real there's still a lot of questions to be answered about how we do you know the TMS what the best protocols are how that uh, what's the best positioning techniques, how much that difference that makes on how you position.
1: So, so is it the kind of thing where I know like, you know, positive side pole of the magnet is considered to be more stimulatory, um, you know, and the negative side is more, you know, sedative. So it helps people sleep better, helps them relax where the other pole, is that what you're, driving in? Is it, is the more positive versus negative when you're doing the, uh, either stimulating, you know, the prefrontal cortex or you're sedating the, the tinnitus or OCD areas?
0: Okay. That's, a, that's a really, that's a really good question. And what I would say is the, the typical therapy, the, that's been, was approved in 2008 is 10 Hertz, 10 times a second. You're getting these pulses, anything. Considered about five hertz is is going to be stimulatory. It's going to be excitatory. Okay. okay. Anything what we use to inhibit, <coughs> pardon me, is the one hertz. So a lot of times on the right side we do the one hertz. So it's one one thousand, two one thousand. <clears throat> that activates a different subset of neurons and actually has an inhibitory effect. So nice that would be, that would be the uh, treatment we would use over the auditory cortex. And now, I mean, so this is just an amazing, just the fact that we can take the same coil and use a different protocol and we can decide if we're going to ex- use excitatory or if we're going to use, um, inhibitory. I mean, it's just, um, it, you know, it really is amazing to have that kind of flexibility. In our can, you dis-
1: can you describe the difference between, because I think people are probably confused as I am, the difference between a magnet and electromagnetic, you know, stimulation, because you're so, using the field versus these poles, you know, positive, negative, and they attract and distract. How does all that work?
0: So what I would say is um, the, the, the coil, obviously, is not a magnet until you put the electrical current through it. So it's a coil of, it's got windings of wire, right? Hundreds of windings. Well, when the electric field goes through that, or when the electricity goes through that, I mean, it might be like as much as 10,000 volts. It's a lot of, it's a lot of uh, volts. That creates an electrical magnetic field that's only on, it's, it's a pulsing field. It's only on, um, you know, for just, um 200 milliseconds or something like that and then then it's off and then it's on again and it's off so with the 10 hertz treatment 10 times a second the field is on and then off on and then on right. and um so the the um the polarity we don't really that's really not an issue with this kinds of magnetic field uh, pulsing it's more just the fact that that you've got a a neuron with an axon, and you're passing this magnetic field across it. And what that is causing is the neuron depolarizes, it fires. And if you were to take that coil and put it on on your motor cortex and turn it up, you would have a seizure right there in the chair. So that's always a risk of TMS is a seizure risk, but it's extremely small. And uh, it's something that we uh, try to avoid. you know, in my practice, we've done about eighteen thousand treatments, and we've never had a seizure, so oh, that's good you know, so it's a very rare uh occurrence.
1: Can you start really small and kind of work your way up
0: yeah, yeah sure you you uh uh mostly what people feel during the treatment is they they would swear that there's a woodpecker on their head tapping, and what they're experiencing is these uh, scalp muscles are contracting. And so they're kind of twitching because they have nerves going. You know, you can move your scalp muscle around. So any any muscle you can move has got a nerve going to it to activate. And so the scalp muscles are twitching, but usually after two or three treatments, that's not a problem, and patients relax. And we've had only one patient in the last eleven years that dropped out of treatment because of discomfort. So it's a rare. uh, So it's
1: really seems really safe and truly non-invasive. Yes. So um, the cool thing about a couple of things that you said, um, when you simulate the prefrontal cortex, you actually can make someone think that you know uh, that the glass is half you know full as opposed to half empty. In Ayurveda, we call that satwa, which is a state of mind where you enjoy giving, loving, caring for others, as opposed to um, being sort of hedonistic, where you enjoy getting things from others, or you know, stimulation. And I think that part of part of our problem in our culture is that we're so addicted to getting stimulation from the outside world that we really can't find happiness from within ourselves, even though it's there. And um, so it seems like what you're actually doing in a, in Ayurvedic language would be that you're actually stimulating part of the brain, activating a part of the brain that says, "Yeah, it's okay to be sad." it's okay. And in fact, you will find more joy, more happiness, more contentment by giving and caring and loving others. Is that the same part of the brain, the, the altruistic part of the brain as the happiness part of the brain? Is that, are we talking about the same thing?
0: Well, I can, I can you know, what, what we are um, treating the way we look at it in psychiatry is major depression. And okay. so our patients come to us, they're not thinking about other people. They're like socially withdrawn. They don't have the energy to interact. They're not getting pleasure out of anything. Um, They're having trouble sleeping. You know, they can't concentrate and focus. Um, And they may be having suicidal um, thinking.
1: I always thought that was because of dopamine receptors that were either, you know, um, desensitized, where they were overstimulated at one point, either by the culture or by, by repetitive behavior. And then you lose those dopamine receptors. So you therefore can't get the pleasure anymore. And in Ayurveda, we call that tamasic behavior where you have salt wishes, I love, I give, I care. Then rajasic means I'm only happy when I'm getting stimulated from the outside world. And then there's tamasic where, where your dopamine receptors are just you know going crazy. And then there's tamasic, which is like, I've burned myself out. I can't find any joy, any stimulation, any motivation anymore, sort of that depressed state. Does that make any sense?
0: Uh, yes, I would say the way I visualize <clears throat> the patients that come to me is that it's it's probably it's probably um, many different paths that have taken them you know to this point. Right. So they, they may have a genetic loading. A lot of them will tell me that their um, parent, you know, one parent or a sibling has had severe depression or mood disorder, or anxiety. Um, they may have had some traumas. Um, you know, they could get some medical, um, conditions. We've treated patients with, uh, traumatic brain injury. Uh, we've treated patients with long, you know, post COVID kind of depression. We've treated um, patients with, you know, some thyroid disorders and other kinds of medical disorders. And I think, I think we've got patients that are making really bad nutritional choices and that, you know, it's kind of the self-fulfilling, they get depressed and they stop eating right. And then they gain weight, or they pull back socially. So I think it's it's a lot of um, it's hard to tease out, you know, sometime exactly how they came to have this uh, condition. But now that the depression is there, it can be really entrenched and very difficult to treat. And a lot of most of the patients that I see, they've already tried multiple antidepressants. They've already seen therapists. Some of them have even tried ketamine, um, they've seen the, the um, you know, the guy at the compounding pharmacy and they've been on all these nutraceuticals and tried a bunch of things and they're still just profoundly depressed and very hopeless and really struggling day to day, you know, sometimes struggling just to get out of bed and move, um, to take a shower. So to, we you know, to have a therapy that might get them back functioning, um, is, you know, is really, it's exciting.
1: you have any radar on what makes the, the nerves either over fire or under fire? Like why, why would we want to be overstimulated versus understimulated if it's, you know, similar underlying factors, genetics, trauma, so forth.
0: Um, are you, are you talking about, um, Specific parts of the brain that are under, yeah, firing. like
1: with, like with the OCD, you know, you want to you want to use a lower you know hertz Fine. because right, and and a higher hertz for the prefrontal cortex. Is there any r- rationale as to why um, parts of the brain would do over function or under function, fire rather over fire or under fire? It seems like the OCD yeah. part is over firing, right, and the tinnitus part tenetis part is. Also right, but but the, but the- well, here, here's
0: an interesting here's an interesting observation for the OCD treatment. The original uh, the original research on that was using an inhibitory treatment on that network. Right, what, what got FDA approved? I think it was a couple of years ago. Was a stimulatory, excitatory um, treatment at 20 hertz. So the original guy who was studying this was doing one Hertz treatment. He was a guy, he was at Duke at the time, Duke University. And what it appears is that if we interrupt the network, if we overdrive it, or if we inhibit it, we interrupt the network, that particular network, we can we can see benefit with these um, intrusive, repetitive thoughts. We can see symptom improvement and some relief. And so, so sort
1: of, yeah is it somewhat like you know where the attention deficit we give them a stimulant to stimulate them to have the energy they need to focus where it seems like fundamentally they're they're so overstimulated they're burned out so you give them something to stimulate them they can actually function again it doesn't really address the cause of the situation but to makes them functional again right, right. um where you give them that but you're saying whether you give it too much, you know, higher or low, you're just resetting the network in a way, right?
0: Exactly, exactly. And so I think sometimes our treatments almost raise more questions, you know? Where yeah. really, uh The TMS is one area where the practice of TMS has really kind of outstripped the research. In other words, you know, it's, I think overall it's fairly safe uh, you know, you just don't see people, you know, gaining weight and having metabolic syndrome. And, and you know, like say, I've never had a seizure, have a, have a patient have a seizure. And so we're doing things and we're trying to gather data and we're trying to figure out what is going on. But there's still so much research that needs to be done to understand even what circuits we're actually affecting, because the brain is so complex. Right. You know, there's so many systems and there, there's so many... Um, even the even the tools we're using are not, they're they're giving this stuff, diffuse, um, you know, magnetic field. It's it's focal to some degree, but there's aspects of it that are not as focal as we would like. And and the protocols we use. I mean, some people, you know, we can use one hertz. We can do the ten hertz, twenty hertz. Theta burst is a a, a second generation TMS where instead of just ten times a second, you give a pattern. Bursts, and there's like five times a second you have these bursts of three they're called triplets and they're just given real close together five times a second and that and theta burst um, may be more stimulatory than anything else that we've been able to develop um, wow. so uh yeah there's there's a there's a lot to be learned and there's so much that we don't learn that we don't know um, when it comes to to the brain and what we're doing to that-
1: how does it compare to something like psilocybin, which seems to, or microdosing, you know, psilocybin where, you know, um, you're sort of simulating the whole brain. Is it a similar kind of a thing where it's like you're getting sort of a global reset with psilocybin versus this is trying to be a little more precise and maybe less, I don't know, less invasive? Um,
0: yeah, I think, I think I'm think i really excited about uh, psilocybin and, and um, what, you know, where that's going to uh, end up, uh, because patients that are uh, treatment resistant and may fail antidepressants, they may f- and fail ECT and they fail TMS. Um, they fail, may fail ketamine. <coughs> now we've got another alternative. Um, I would say that the, um, the, where I see, um, where I see TMS fitting in, is the FDA indication for TMS is the failure of one antidepressant. So that's the FDA indication. We have very it really is remarkably free of 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 side effects. We have very um, few systemic, you know, basically no systemic side effects because we're just we're affecting just you know a small part of the brain with the um with the stimulation. Uh, You know, the issues around uh, psilocybin, there are some patient, patient selection would be very important. If you have patients that might have schizophrenia or some kind of psychotic um, uh, tendency and you give them that and you could end up, you know, with, uh, you know, a bad, bad trip or whatever, the uh, really bad outcome, uh, potentially, potentially, you know, they could could um, have a psychotic episode or something. So um, I think the TMS, has uh, a lot of um, safety, uh, a safety net behind it because so many patients have been treated at this point. Uh, it's used worldwide. Uh, MRI scans have been given, you know for for years and years, like there's been 100 million MRI scans of the head. and there's one uh, publication published where this lady had had. Two point more, 2.4 million pulses to her brain with TMS equivalent of 850 treatments given over like seven years. And they did serial MRI scans and cognitive testing, and she had no, you know, no issues at all. So we seem to have a very, at this point, appears to be quite safe and it's been used since the mid Um, nineties. And so I think it's, you know, it's more, it's going to be more appropriate to engage something like TMS uh, early on. Um, when medications fail. Although, I'll tell you this, and they've done studies, and the, the patients that we see usually have failed three or four medications, and we have about 75% response rate. Well, they did a study in England where they took drug-naive patients that had never been on antidepressants. They had like about 95% response rate. Wow. So it really is an effective uh, treatment. Um, and
1: imagine that something like psilocybin, at least now, you know, it has to be monitored. It takes hours for the therapist to be there by the bedside where that could be so cost prohibitive, you know, and so time intensive for the doctor and patient and staff and everyone where it sounds like this therapy lasts how long?
0: So Maybe. the typical, the typical, um, uh, treatment is 19 minutes.
1: So it's only 19 minute therapy, right? And then you have to just rest for a while afterwards, or how does that work?
0: No, so um, the the traditional approach is, since it since um it was approved in 2008, is 36 treatments. So patients come in every day for about six weeks, and that gives about 30 treatments, and then they taper three, two, one. And so they're they're probably in and out in about 35 minutes. They come in, uh, put the cap on. You know, they may need to use the bathroom They get in the chair. They have the 19 minute treatment, but they're awake and alert the entire time watching the YouTube video, talking to the staff. Wow. We, we kind of indoctrinate our patients while they're here. We make them watch videos on nutrition and the importance of exercise and mindfulness and things like that while they're, while we got them in the chair, if they're open to it. But then as soon as they get out, they're fine. They're good to drive. You know, there's no, there's no impairment um, at all. Um, the first couple of treatments, they may have a mild headache, some mild scalp discomfort, but usually they take some Tylenol and within three or four treatments, usually that's not an issue anymore.
1: So that means someone has to, you know, be local to a clinic and they have to go every day for 36 treatments, which is what, you know, six weeks or so, something like that. Um, now you also mentioned to me that there's a new... Uh, application of it where it's like a two-week intensive right where people okay so
0: find- yeah so what's really exciting about the field now is um back in september the fda cleared a, a new protocol that was done at stanford and so what they what the folks did at stanford they took um they did 50 treatments in one week okay they used theta burst And they used a nine-minute treatment of Theta Burst, and they gave that every hour, basically with a 50-minute rest. So you get your treatment, get out of the chair, 50-minute rest, get back in the chair, 8 o'clock to 5 o'clock kind of thing. So they had 10 treatments for five days. The first study they did, they had 90% remission that patients showed when you followed them over four weeks. I think it was four weeks they had ninety percent of them that at some point showed, on a scale, they were in remission. Just wow. remarkable.
1: You're talking about deep depression, like
0: yes, this was this was treatment-resistant depression. Wow. So it was just kind of like stunning results. So that was an open label. So they redid the study using a uh, what's called a sham coil. So it's a coil that sits on the head and it clicks and it feels like something's happening, but nothing's happening. That's your placebo coil. Okay. And at the, after the five days of treatment, they found that the patients that had the sham treatment, they had the placebo treatment, 14% went into remission. And the other group, I think had 79%, the active treatment at 79%. And based on that data, the FDA uh, cleared the, that protocol for, gave it approval. And now, the only thing that you know that we can't that I can't do when I offer accelerated treatment in the Stanford um, uh, therapy, they used neuronavigation, so they were able to you know put the coil exactly and um uh, and then of course and like I said, the question is still out as to how much that is the secret sauce? you know, does that make a huge difference, or was it the fact that they were giving so many treatments? In a short period of time or right. was it the fact that they were giving using theta burst right yeah you know, because what they say is like so theta burst a three-minute treatment of theta burst several years ago was approved as to be equally effective as our standard treatment of 10 hertz that we've been doing since 2008 so a three-minute treatment of theta burst was equivalent to the 10 to the 19 minute 10 hertz actually it used to be 36 minutes when we first came out because the Uh, rest period, but, but when they did that first day of treatment, they were doing a nine minute, they were doing basically a nine minute treatment every hour for, um, 10 treatments. In essence, they got 30 treatments the first day. And the average, uh, response reported time was 2.3 days. The average person began to report feeling better in 2.3 days.
1: Wow. So um so what is your what is your uh ex- what does your accelerated treatment look like? Like how many days you have to be there? You know, how many days in a row do you have to come? And so someone wants to come. You're in Huntsville. Uh his clinic is called TMSHuntsville.com You can check out Dr. Hayden's clinic and what he does and everything. But so someone wants to come from from out of state because you know, a lot of the I know you were telling me that a lot of the clinics, you know, in the uh, different parts of the country are very, very costly. It could be like $16,000 for that accelerated treatment and you charge $8,000 for that accelerated treatment. So is that a one week or is that a two week therapy?
0: So um, what we're offering is, um, we're offering uh, eight treatments uh, a day. And so that's you're here from eight o'clock until three o'clock uh, for five days. So that's forty treatments. And then if patients need more than that, so that would say Monday through Friday kind of thing. If they need more than that, we'll we'll give them uh, additional treatments on the next week. Um, but we've had we've had several patients that didn't require. Uh, we've had patients that have gone from thirty five treatments. We had one lady that did fifty two. She seemed to need a little bit more. Um, but that's just that's kind of. We found that people staying here till five o'clock is really um, a lot of patients. A can of the it's a long day. It's a long yeah. day, and so that's right. that's kind of been working out. Um, and we can we do the theta burst, uh, the same protocol. We have a MagVenture machine, but we don't. Obviously, we we can't do the uh, neuro navigation. Yeah. That actually yeah. um, is actually not even available. Magnus Medical has been commissioned to try to provide that. And those systems are not even available yet. So wow. but we're so, seeing really good results.
1: So folks would initially there's other providers
0: that are doing that around around the country.
1: Right. So there initially someone would call you up, book you for a week, and then maybe have to extend possibly, but there's a good chance they can get in and out of there in five days.
0: Yeah. And how and much is that? Cost? There was extenuating circumstance. I mean, we could we could uh, uh you know make sure that they could get a full ten treatments, yeah, if be necessary.
1: What, and how much does that cost to come there? You know,
0: um, <clears throat> well, it's less than the amount that you quoted, uh, okay. but I would I would just kind of refer him to the office on that. Okay,
1: okay, all right. Well, that's good, but it is. But I'm, what I'm trying to let people know is that if they if they go through you. They, they're they going to get a significant discount than if they went to, you know, a, a much bigger city in a different part of the country. Right.
0: Well, I would just say, you know, there's um, probably different providers, uh, you know, offering different um, services, you know, yeah. services. Yeah. differently. Yeah. 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 But it is unfortunately it is a cash because insurance at this point, insurance only pays for one treatment. Per day. I so,
1: see they so- only pay for the 36 treatment thing, right?
0: Yes, they're not. I'm. Hopefully, you know, I'm. I've had people speculate that maybe it'll take about two years, you know, before they'll start paying for accelerated treatment. But, you know, the fact that someone could take off a week and get their depression treated, um, is right. just, you know, it. It's just, uh, it's really exciting that we have a, a biological treatment, somatic therapy, uh, this t- this TMS that will really give some. Some hope to patients in a very short period of time.
1: Yeah, no, it's 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 mind-boggling. Particularly when you say they've, they've tried every medication, they've tried everything that's out there, and you can go there for a week and get you know we're talking seventy to ninety percent recovery rate. That's just a, you know a, a game changer. And 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 who knows when you start you know activating neurons in the brain? I mean, it's, it's, you know, what other side benefits are going to come from from just getting that brain? You know, kind of reset and uh firing like it you know like it's designed you know what i mean right uh, yeah seems like that's what's that's what's happening i asked you a while back but i know a lot of my folks who who listen are really tuned into the brain glymphatic system which dumps like three pounds of plaque out of the head every year while we sleep and when that gets clogged up it's linked to anxiety depression cognitive decline inflammation, infection and even autoimmunity according to the studies <clears throat> so i always wonder like okay when you're doing all that are you stimulating you're stimulating a lot of nerve firing, but I would imagine that at the same time you're stimulating a lot of waste removal as well. And is that do we add to it? Does anybody even know if that's part of the equation that you're actually stimulating not only the you know the firing, but also the the detoxification of the brain, which is a big deal. You know, cutting edge big big deal anyway.
0: Yeah, that's a good question. I know that there are studies that show uh, brain flow changes are definitely occurring after TMS therapy.
1: Uh, All right. Yes. So increased blood supply.
0: Increased blood supply. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: Wow. Nice. Nice. Wow. That's, that's, that's amazing. They can't measure the glymphatic system because it's a, it's a little sleeve on the outside of the arteries. So it's just sort of like this arteries go in, the waste comes out on the outside of the sleeve. That's why they didn't see it for ever. Um, they only recently discovered it because it was sort of so hidden by the body's amazing um, design. But, you know, so if there's, Good coming in, you would expect that there's better waste coming out too, but that's to be to be determined, I would I would imagine. Well, this is super amazing. I hope everybody knows that you can go to, go to TMS Huntsville, that's Huntsville, Alabama, but it's to TMSHuntsville.com. You know, check it out. Dr. Hayden is the sweetest, kindest guy. Uh, I met him and uh, I just think he's just uh, got the, one of the, just really kind, his bedside manner, I think you'll love him if you go see him. I think you'll be in really good hands. I really, I really uh, enjoyed our time together when we were when we met, and uh, I thought what you're doing is amazing. It's cutting edge, and I think everybody should know about this. Um, and it's, it is evolving by the minute, right? I mean, it just is changing and getting better and better. And so this is a a therapy that people should have on the radar, if not now, but in the future, um, because um, it's something that uh, is not is here to stay. Because it's so safe and so non-invasive.
0: Yeah, John, I, I appreciate it so much because my frustration has been for so many years that patients come in and they get treated, and then they say, "Well, why didn't my doctor tell me about this four years ago?" So we haven't nearly hit the tipping point. Yeah, it's not widely, um, you know, it's known. Most doctors are family doctors that are prescribing antidepressants. (laughs) And so if most of your depression is being treated by family doctors and they're not even aware, a lot of them are not aware that TMS is out there, that insurance pays for it. And that it's indicated after the failure of one antidepressant. And of course, insurance companies, they may have other criteria we have to fail so many but it really needs to be on the table as an informed consent. If you have depression, you need to know about these other treatments. <laughs> Pardon me, got had a dry cough for about two weeks.
1: I'm so sorry to hear Maybe it's that allergies. So everything's blooming down there in yeah. Alabama. Not quite here yet.
0: So, so, I, so I really seeing... appreciate this opportunity just to just to try to get the word out more. I, mean, I look for the opportunity. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I really do agree. And that's why I just was like, you have to be on my podcast because I think people need to know about this because so many people are trying and even, you know, psilocybin like here in Colorado, that's what everybody's sort of going towards, but it's, it's like, you know, super labor intensive. It doesn't have anywhere near the science behind it. And, you know, um, although it is an emerging therapy, that's definitely worth looking at. Um, But that seems to be getting all the attention where this doesn't seem to be getting any attention. We're talking about magnet, magnetic fields. I mean, the electromagnetic spectrum is where we live. We live inside an electromagnetic field, and all we're doing is manipulating that field in a way to bring our body back into balance. That isn't you know uh, some crazy invasive therapy that's going to leave you you know in some way harmed. It's using nature in a very creative, intelligent way. So I really thank you for for uh, joining us today. Is there anything else you want to mention about TMS before we go?
0: Uh, no, I think um, um, I think there's some videos on my website. If you go to the top and click on, there's some pretty informative videos. Uh, I would also refer people to uh, a website called the Clinical TMS Society, which has you know some very non-biased uh, information about about TMS therapy. Uh, it's kind of a it's kind of a society that is promoting. The and standardizing, you know, the care uh, that the TMS therapy that we can provide. We want to make sure that we're delivering quality care consistently across across providers. So that's a very helpful um, website as well.
1: well. That's amazing. Dr. Charles Hayden, it's uh, TMShuntsville.com. Check him out. And uh, yeah, I'm sure a lot of us have family members who are out there who are suffering. This is something they need to know about. All right. Charles, thank you so much for your time.
0: Thanks so much, Jimmer. Have a great afternoon. All right.
1: Yeah, you too. Take care.
0: This recording is brought to you by LifeSpa, where ancient Ayurvedic wisdom meets modern science. Get access to free health video newsletters by Dr. John at LifeSpa.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.